Uh, welcome to the Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. You know, every time I play some little piano intro and then get into the main theme for the show, it really does feel like something opens. Something awakens. But anyway, this is the show where I do improvised horror stories. Uh, I just pull out random titles submitted from the audience. Uh, then I make up the horror stories from there. And if you have any horror story titles to submit, you can send them to quarantinespookshow at gmail.com. The info for that email is on various pages on various sites that host this show. Twitch, SoundCloud, Instagram, Twitter, etc. further ado, let's begin. Alright, this first story is called, Dum Dum Go Bye Bye. kid with a sugar fix hasn't had a dum-dum pop. Oh, I know you remember. Maybe you got them on Halloween. Maybe you got them at the dollar store. Maybe you got them at grade school uh, as a reward for doing well in math, I guess. Dum Dum Pops, just little lollipops, that's all they ever were, that's all they ever had to be, that sweet, hard, and high fructose corn syrup, tasting like a cherry, grape, strawberry, maybe pistachio, They're similar to Tootsie Rolls, just one of those treats that just stuck around throughout the decades. Maybe you remember the old commercials. They originally aired in black and white, along with Saturday morning cartoons. parrot that would just be like, oh, I go dum-dum for dum-dum pops. And it re-aired throughout the 60s in color. And even as late as the 90s. 
And any 90s, 90s kid would tell you that, uh, something was really off about those commercials. It wasn't just that they were old or anachronistic during that time of television broadcast. No, they had a peculiar, uh, distinction with them. And the way it aged just made it stand out more. Go dum dum for dum dum pops. What the fuck does that mean? What if you want to be an intellectual? Would you really go dumb for sugar? Well, maybe. After the book Fast Food Nation came out, wave of scientific journals and research surge investigations on uh, the treats and snacks that we filled our gullets with, mostly on fast food and uh, commercialized beef products and whatnot. We also did research into the way sugar impacts the bodies. Even Mark Mothersbra, the singer of Devo, did some jingles for commercials, including his well-known uh, jingle for Hawaiian Punch, where he included the subliminal message, sugar is bad for you. That's actually real, you can look it up. something else about Dum Dum Pops. The research was done, but most of it was redacted. Sixty Minutes did several reports on it. What's the deal with Dum Dum Pops? No one seemed to know. No one was, was withholding the information, just no one had an answer. Pops were still served. Some conspiracy theorists out there said that uh, Dum Dum Pops were being used to uh, dumb down the earth. It was an entire ploy that led to the that led to the strange cerebral spiritual shift in 2015 that led to where we are today. Perhaps the Dum Dum Pops were a ploy to lead us to such a nexus. But a lot of scholars and experts on lollipops and sugar treats were just like, no, it's just, they're just Dum Dum, dum Pops, just little lollipops, they're small, they're cheap, easy to sell, you know, it's just stick them with a bag of Smarties and Tootsie Rolls, you know, nothing ostensible there. leads us back to the commercial. In 2007, uh, one YouTuber uh, presented a theory online about all these subliminal messages in that Dum Dum Pop commercial. It would have Dum Dum the parrot, you know, like, oh, I go Dum Dum for Dum Dum Pops. 
within the cells that blend in with the outlines of the characters. There's a lot of numbers and gibberish, seemingly. However, those numbers and gibberish do match transcriptions of radio waves that came down to Earth in 1938. actually took the effort to decode it. But Big Hershey and Big Chocolate just and Big Sugar, they all shut it down. We don't need we don't need anyone getting into investigations with these little sugar treats. Roger Stewart thought otherwise. Plenty of research on sugar and how and how it uh, affected the mind, affected adolescence, affected development, how it created more short, short circuits in the brain. And a lot of his research was funded by sugar companies. And he had to work under their thumb, and he was encouraged to find the health benefits of high-octane sugar, including that which is, fa which is found in dum-dum uh, pops. And a lot of the research was what he expected, you know. Sugar caused a lot of bursts of energy, you know. Overall negative impact on, impact on health and the brain, at least in large doses. But he also re uh, released a paper that uh, dark chocolate is good for you sometimes, you know, which the Gwyneth Paltrow's of the world took and ran with. But Roger Stewart took a closer look. Dum Dum Pop specifically. He melted them down, analyzed them, took a close look at their cells. They were a little different. When you boil down sugar at the end of the day, it all looks the same under a microscope. But not Dum Dum Pops. movement of the cells were different, much more sporadic, and moved in patterns that were much more difficult to pin down. Eventually he did his own research in the Dum Dum Corporation. was founded uh, in 1878 by uh, Arthur Dum Dum. 
a lot of sugar treats around. And he had to come up with some, something quick to uh, compete with black licorice. So what he did, he just uh, threw a bunch of shit in a random pot and just stirred it all together. And then used a chemically a chemical uh, solidification process to make little lollipops and just gave them away. And the kids in the town were super into it. Even the parents were just like, hey, sugar on a stick, that's great. That's how Arthur Dum Dum uh, achieved success through uh, the vast success of his Dum Dum company. He expanded to other treats like chocolate. That's kind of it, just high sugar treats and chocolate pretty much. Of other chocolate uh, candy companies, you know, tanked that came from the 1800s. Eventually, the Hershey's and Mars of the world uh, rose up, but the Dum Dum Company kept fighting strong. And you're able to find plenty of Dum Dum Pops up until the tens, at least. Roger Stewart was getting carried away with his research. It eventually led him to the uh, to find the reel of the original Dum Dum cartoon. The commercial that aired so much in the 50s and 60s. Like, oh, Dum Dum for Dum Dum Pops. in uh, Colorado. And he asked the people in charge if he could uh, use the reel in a, in a special room inside the museum and take a look at it under a microscope. The museum agreed only under the condition that uh, someone from the museum uh, was there to watch to make sure the reel was okay. So it was too valuable of a commodity to just to let in the hands of someone unknown, especially someone that worked at a sugar factory, sugar company, excuse me. So Roger and the, the museum uh, employee, uh, Mitchell, stayed at the museum at night, after it closed, after the uh, people stopped going to the exhibit, and just started doing research. Mitchell just said begrudgingly to Roger, yeah man, I don't know what we're going to be able to find. I mean, pretty much all the information about this reel is out there, you know. Sure, there's uh, gibberish and encryptions on it. And no, I don't know why it matches those radio waves from the 1930s. 
but I don't know what you're going to be able to discern from it that someone else hasn't already. And as Roger looked at it, he had an epiphany. Grabbed his notebook and started to write a bunch of things really quickly. And Mitchell says, oh, what are you doing? And Roger says, they're coordinates. There are coordinates on this animation cell. Mitchell's is like, oh, that's crazy, no way. You're just another conspiracy theorist, aren't you? And Roger said, no, I'm a scientist. Roger worked at that sugar company. He'd been moderately employed, getting jobs here and there, but he devoted all of his time seeking out these coordinates. There were multiple sets of them, heavily encrypted, and he spent a large swath of his life doing all these little ciphers, trying to find the right spot. Was something to Dum Dum Pops. He thought could it be contact with aliens? Could it be a secret uh, societal order? He didn't know, but he was dying to. led him somewhere in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. At a spot where very few islands were nearby. If he was shipwrecked, it would be unlikely that he would be found. The coordinates led him to a small island. there and traversed it and found an opening to a cave. He had a, feel a ri feeling rise in his gut. And Roger thought to himself, oh my god, this might be it. The cave was a mine shaft of some, po some sort. since abandoned. He had his flashlight and kept looking.
didn't look like anything like anything like anything to him. Just looked like some abandoned mine. There's just a lot of coal everywhere. It seemed like it was abandoned in a hurry. Still some helmets and pickaxes there. Rail cars that were too rusted to run anymore. But he kept walking down the tracks. And then he turned into one crevice and he found what he was looking for. Dum Dum Pops mountains of them. All in different wrappers. All in little paper sticks. And they weren't just in any flavors. They weren't just cherry or strawberry or grape or banana or pistachio or black licorice or whatever. No. Every flavor that you can conceive of there's a dum-dum pop for it. There's roast beef, ketchup, number two pencils, sawdust, firewood, cracker that's been 50 years old, but I thought, well, what's the worst that can happen? It's not like it's poison. So we tried one. Cherry one. His favorite flavor of any kind of candy variety. He unwrapped it and gave it just a small kiss at first, and then put it in his mouth, and he thought, oh my god. This is amazing. This is not only the best dum-dum pop that I've ever had. This is one of the best flavors that I've ever had. I thought just whole cherries were good, but this is something else. This is transcendental. He ate it slowly to enjoy it, and I finished the whole thing before he knew it. He grabbed another one. Strawberry. Mmm, fuck. This is a goddamn good lollipop. Shit. Started to grab more. Made them faster and faster. He barely ate on his voyage, so he didn't mind having a cheat day. Eventually started to get into the more obscure flavors like gravel and oak. And even though they tasted like those things, they were still delicious. The ketchup flavored. The spoiled beef flavored. The urine flavored and the hair flavored, and they were all fucking delicious. Perhaps now that he understood, humanity has been stifling itself by all the flavors that could be unlocked, only focusing on food and things that were edible. 
you realize that these dum-dum pops... Perhaps they were experimental. Some abandoned plot to share through, share through the world. He felt like a whole spectrum of flavor was being unleashed. Anything could be eaten and anything could be devoured. Most of all, anything could taste good. More and more of them he ate. shoved more in his mouth. Then he started to bite into them and crack them. Like it was like a to Tootsie Pop commercial or something. And he started to just eat the paper sticks because some of the goo was leaking on it and he wanted to suckle that up too. His teeth were sticky and in agony and his stomach was in incredible pain but he didn't care. all the flavors that the earth had to offer. All of a sudden, the earth started to shake. If you do thorough research to seismic records on that section of the Pacific Ocean, see that there was a 6.2 earthquake that occurred right where that island was. It was just enough for the entrance of the cave to collapse, as well as the tunnels that led to the Dum Dum uh, alcove. happened in this area. Fuck, am I stupid? Am I dumb? I see now. I've been so dumb-dumb this whole time, and now I'm dumb-dumb for dumb-dumb pops. But it's the only way to discover the dumb-dumb pops and their true potential. The only way to enjoy a dumb-dumb pop is to be dumb-dumb. I see now. I see what that goofy little 1950s and 60s parrot was talking about. Roger Stewart survived three or four days after he was trapped in that cavern. He barely had any water to drink, but he spent his last days living on those dum-dum pops secret of the Dum Dum Pops died with him. And it's worth noting that this story does not reflect my feelings or any accurate information on Dum Dum Pops or anything like that. It's just a story. I have no scorn for Dum Dum Pops. It's just fodder for a story. I don't know if anyone's passionate about it or if there are any representatives of the Dum Dum Bob Company, uh, you know, it was a nice treat to have when you were when you did well at a math test. I'll say that. All right, this next story is called "A Sunday in Hell." 
easy to laugh at all the visions of hell that existed in previous versions of society. To some people, hell was a place beneath the earth full of fire and brimstone and sulfur. Led by an entity that betrayed God. To some, hell was eternal torture and damnation. Even if they didn't believe in the Christian hell. Hell is a place that you went where things didn't pan out for you in the human life. If you were terrible next life to deliver reciprocity to you. Hell could have also appeared to you in the Bardos, like from the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Or when you enter the nexus of death, you've seen your, your own anxieties and fears uh, present, present themselves to you of demons and monsters, and they prevent you from evolving into the next life, but really you'd be preventing yourself because they were part of you. And it's easy to laugh at now, they're all nice interpretations of hell and eternal misery. It's funny to think that what hell really, really is, is uh, 2020 and 2021, and uh, being surrounded by callous dipshits, fucking shit up for everyone. Maybe some dipshits can be othered, but there's a little bit of dipshittery in most people, and perhaps that's why everyone's in hell. in hell, it's not the most uh, absurd thing to want to score some ice cream. A nice Sunday. On a Sunday. That's what Harold thought when he woke up. at 2.45pm and then just thinking to himself uh, you know what, everything's shitty and now I'm kind of shitty I guess I was kind of already shitty before the pandemic, but I'm really shitty now I think the only thing I need today is just a nice Sunday just nice, just nice sweet creamy treat some chocolate syrup and bananas. Even a cherry on top, just for good measure. Harold decided to walk to get some ice cream. He didn't have a car. Not that you needed one, 
impending climate disaster. On Harold's walk, he thought about life and society. best way to make it in this world, and to make it through this dark medieval period that we were all living in, this was to have a grasp on reality. You didn't need all the answers, you didn't have to be right on time, but if you have a solid sense on what's going on, and what's happening, there's a strong chance I'd be able to make it out okay. And as Harold comp contemplated this, he just thought, Gee, I don't have a grasp on anything, really. I don't got a fucking clue what's going on. And in a self-deprecating way, he laughed at himself at his own dipshittery, but maybe acknowledging his own dipshittery was the smartest thing a person can do. And it was what you did with that information that really counted, and how you can evolve past that. In this instance, on this afternoon, Harold was just going to get some ice cream. form of evolution? Probably not. But goddamn, with all the misery coming his way, he could really just use some ice cream. He could really use a sundae in hell. There's one ice cream shop that he liked close to his house. It was called Happy Slappy Sunday favorite spot. Everyone in his neighborhood knew about it. People, did, out of, people out of town who came to visit had no clue about it, and that's what made it stellar. Any good spot that the tourists don't know about is probably pretty good. So he was going to Happy Slappy Sunday, but as he went there he saw it was closed. It's just like, oh fuck, that's right. My county's at an extreme risk level because no one in town wears their masks appropriately. Or bathes at all. Because they're doubling down on their own BS to really practice decent hygiene uh, and to curb a potentially curbable threat. depressed. Again. He was already depressed, but like he was especially depressed now. Twenty twenty and twenty twenty one were years where you could reach new lows. Or at least Harold could. He sat on the curb. head on his palms and his mask in between his face and his hands. 
sure his county was in an extreme risk level. But overall, vaccinations were growing up. And on a global scale, cases were going down. thought to himself, you know, even if the tangibility of the pandemic 100% went away, the damage was done. And he didn't expect life for society to be really any less hellish. With all the other fucked up shit that's happening and escalating, besides COVID and whatnot, about this, thought about what the future held, the impending climate disaster, the rise in authoritarianism, old ways of living disappearing, people doubling down on their bullshit. And resources being stifled. shut down or out of funds or being elbowed out by greedier, enti greedier entities Harold thought about the state of the world but really fucking wanted that ice cream and he thought you know what even if shit is fucking awful that doesn't mean I can't have 5 to 10 minutes of bliss eating some ice cream or whatever Maybe 15 minutes if I ate it slow and it didn't melt fast enough. And he thought about being resourceful. How probably important that's going to be in the near future. So then Harold stood up and thought, You know what? I'll just fucking make my own ice cream. Shouldn't be too hard. I got milk and shit. I think this will be easy. house, picked up a couple of ingredients, and got to work. He looked at some, some tutorials on YouTube, he started just, just like add milk and cream and flavoring and salt or whatever, just kind of mash it together and let it get cold. Whatever the process is of making ice cream, uh, he did a percentage of it. But then when Harold finished his, uh, interpretation of ice cream, he had a look of it. And it was extremely salty. Not sweet at all. The strawberry flavoring he added didn't show up at all. It already started to melt. It was kind of watery as it was. And then he started to cry.
never cried so hard in his life. The last time he cried this hard was when he found out, fell down the basement steps and broke both of his legs. But no, this pain was existential. It was cerebral, internal, introspective. He didn't know what to do. He couldn't afford therapy because he couldn't afford healthcare. shit together in a very grotesque way. All Harold did was cry. His eyeballs were waterfalls. And then all of his tears gushed onto the ice cream. the cream and the salt and the strawberry. Eventually Harold cried so much they ran out of tears. And suddenly heard a voice. Harold, what's wrong? Harold looked at the ice cream and it was talking to him. He couldn't believe it. Not only did it actually look like some good ice cream, but it had like a nice smiley face. Like some really super fucking hardcore Pixar Studio Ghibli charm on this ice cream. said, Harold, what's wrong? Still in mid-tear, he was just like, "Uh, I don't know. Everything in the world's shit. And I'm shit, and I don't know what I'm gonna do. And the ice cream said, oh, Harold, don't, you don't gotta cry at all. We can be friends, you know? You must be pretty lonely. And Harold was just like, yeah. Very long, lonely. I've barely spoken to anyone even before the pandemic. And then uh, Sunday was just like, oh shit, well, that's awful. Well, seemed like a nice guy to me. And Harold was just like, I, I don't think so. I don't really do good things to other people. I, I tend to be pretty selfish overall, and I kind of became more selfish during the pandemic. Of a kind of a dick in public at this point. Sunday was just like, oh well, um, okay, shit. Well, you, you know that's okay. We can come on, Harold. This is your day. We can we can hang out and stuff. And Harold was just like, do you think I'm a piece of shit? And then the Pixar Studio Ghibli Sunday was just like, uh, no, no, of course not, Harold. Come on, why don't we hang out? What do you want to do? And Harold was just like, oh, I just want to play a Halo and Call of Duty for 14 hours a day. And then the Sunday was just like, oh, um, okay, shit. 
Well, we can do that. I mean, I'm not good with the controller, but, uh... The way you cut me up some, uh... Cut a banana in half, and maybe I can use that for hands or something. Popsicle sticks or whatever. Let's use magic logic. So Harold got, uh, some, uh... Old smelly bananas and some popsicle stick bits and some pencils and attached them to Sunday and they functioned as hands, kind of. Certainly functional enough to operate an Xbox controller. And then they just started playing Xbox together. The Magic Sunday wasn't very good at Xbox or at shooting games at all, really. So Harold just keep kicking his ass, both at, uh, Halo and Call of Duty. And Harold felt really good beating at someone at a severely, uh, inferior skill level. And that made him feel superior. And that also, that almost made him feel good. The Magic Sunday wasn't having too much fun playing all this Xbox, which ended up being for two weeks straight. Harold kept the house uh, easily, ref heavily refrigerated, uh, so he could survive. But no, the Sunday wasn't enjoying playing games at all. But you know, he was supportive of Harold, and he wanted to, you know. He gave, he gave the Sunday life, so the Magic Sunday wanted to support Harold in any way he could. So the Sunday just bashfully, uh, bashfully uh, offered, like, hey Harold, maybe we can uh, do something else, you know? have in mind. I was having a lot of fun playing Xbox and, you know, eating, drinking a bunch of Mountain Dew. And the Sunday was just like, yeah, well, that's cool too, um, but why don't we do other stuff? Like, I don't know. Maybe you can try calling unemployment again so you can uh, earn a decent wage to live on, or maybe you can learn how to cook. You know, that'd be cool. Something proactive. We could just go for a walk out of the house. Just get, in the, get out of the house in general, just going for a walk. We don't have to go to any public place if you don't want to do that, that's cool. But maybe just like outside at a park or something, you know? In like a low pressure, low risk public area, you know? Just a way to just get, up, get off, get on your feet, you know? Trying to assimilate back into society. It's challenging, but it's worth a try. And then Harold was just like, oh, but I just... I just want to hang out with you all the time, Magic Sunday. Don't you like playing Xbox for 14 hours a day? And the Magic Sunday said, well, I guess that's okay, but, you know... I mean, I, I like some games, you know. I hear that Resident Evil game is pretty good, but... We've been playing a lot of Call of Duty and Halo, and sometimes you need to give your eyeballs a break. You know, maybe you can read, you know, I saw a copy of Treasure Island on the shelf, you can read that. And 
house It's like, no, I don't want to read I don't want to think about the world Magic Sunday was just like, oh, not even You know, there's Kurt Vonnegut, you know He addresses the harsh realities of the world In a very entertaining and uh, accessible way And he tells a lot of good jokes And it makes you feel like you're in on the joke And it feels like you're part of this greater picture, you know And it's to make you, you know make you think about the world critically and about yourself in a way that's really positive too like he's a very very gifted writer in that way maybe read some james baldwin you know read about people that aren't quite like you you know that'd be cool and harold was just like no i just want to play xbox and drink mountain dew and the magic sunday was just like okay that's that's we can we can do that you know um yeah, we can, we can, we can keep playing Xbox. And that's what they did. They kept playing Xbox. For hours on end. There's nothing wrong with an occasional binge. There's no reason to shame it. Harold was in a deep, dark place of despair. And Magic Sunday knew it. Part of his sentience onto the earthly plane was, you know, say if a little kid brought him to life, he'll just be having fun and keeping him company and stuff. But Magic Sunday could clearly see that Harold was a piece of work and needed, uh, certainly a rehabilitation process in becoming a functional, decent human being that ultimately really had nothing to do with the pandemic. But the pandemic certainly didn't help. Three more weeks go by. duty in Xbox on some semi-empty servers. And Magic Sunday was getting tired. Uh, his magic wrists were getting really sore. Magic Sunday's eyes were starting to sting a little bit. He hasn't been blinking enough because he's been playing all these video games and his eyelids weren't producing enough oil because the veins in his eyelids were atrophied. And now his eyes were dry all the time and they stung and they hurt. And then Magic Sunday was just like, Harold, I need, I, need a, I need a break. I need a break. Harold was just like, okay, that's, that's cool. I'm just going to keep playing Xbox. And Magic Sunday was just like, yeah, I, had, I know you will. So Magic Sunday uh, stepped outside. He needed some fresh air. Harold didn't shower nearly as often as he should. days a week wouldn't be that bad, but Harold smelled really bad.
magic Sunday was, you know, sitting out on the porch, people watching. He still didn't know quite that much about people, but he saw some people walking dogs, some joggers. with masks walking together. And it was late May, and... It was already starting to get pretty humid. And Magic Sunday could feel himself get a little bit uh, slippery, more liquidy than he was used to. Magic Sunday was just like, oh, I guess I better get inside unless so I don't melt. And they stopped and thought about it, and he thought, you know what? Maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing if I melted. I mean, the alternative was just to keep hanging out with Harold, who making no initiative to help himself or the people around him, not even in small doses, you know? Like, nobody's perfect, everyone's hit hard times. And as long as you can make little strides, that's surely something. But Harold, Harold's really shitty. Devastated that my creator is such an incompetent ass. It was getting more humid out. The sun wasn't out, but it was starting to rain. One of those late May rains. Probably one of the last rains before the long, heavy, dry summer. shit together, you know. Fire season's coming, too, and it's no place for... This isn't a world for a magic Sunday. I mean, where am I gonna work? Who's hiring? Who's paying well? Who's making a decent wage these days? the rain. He's never seen rain before. He was always cooped up inside Harold's house, who never went outside. The raindrops started to fall slowly on his creamy skin. He always wondered what it would be like to melt. Afraid of being in a hot environment for it. He was worried that it would burn or it would hurt too much, but since it was just a little bit humid and some rain was falling on him, it was a very slow melt. The 
disappearance of self was almost soothing. Magic Sunny looked up in the sky and now stretched his arms. And he just thought, huh, this feels nice. This feels nice. disappear. Couldn't even cognize it. All I could feel was pure feeling. The pure sensation of melting and being. The sense of pure being was all that he felt as he melted away. Eventually, Magic Sunday was just a small little creamy puddle on the ground. after, a group of teenagers getting off of school, started to walk by the puddle. Some of them glanced at it, and then one of them just said, what a waste of good ice cream. gotta be like a top 10 darkest stories I've told in the show. Good lord. Alright. This next story is called Locally Sourced Fruit Flies. absurd concept. Nobody wants fruit flies at their house. Why would anyone invite that around? Sure, she's read some uh, some articles on uh, Goop and Dr. Oz about the benefits of fruit flies uh, infesting your home and 
She know she knew about you know the bugs in general uh, work in tandem with the environment and how integral that process was. But she thought it was a little bit far fetched that Goop and Doctor Oz would be like, "Yeah, you want a lot of fruit flies like all over your body, all in your house, all over your shit." It's just fucking. It's just fucking great. It's a. Uh, Fucking good for you, really, uh, hones in your spirit. Marianne did remember an article that she read on, like, the New York, New York Post or Daily Mail or something like that about an armada of fruit flies that were apparently fascists and tried to take over this household and control that person's body to go shopping or something. She didn't quite remember the whole story behind it. certainly enough to make her not trust fruit flies. But then she thought, well, you know, if uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and Dr. Oz uh, think fruit flies are cool, um, yeah, I can, maybe I can benefit, benefit for some fruit flies. I'm pretty fortuitous so far in not having fruit flies all over my trash and my fruit and produce and compost or whatever. So I think I can benefit from having them all up on my shit. Maybe I can make my uh, apartment as tidy as a as a gulag, you know? Be really fucking cool. Really down to earth, man. So she ordered the fruit flies. Uh, them through Amazon with a speedy delivery. And she got a package of them and some instructions. And the instructions pretty much said, just like, yeah, leave them anywhere, they'll fucking do their thing. And I already thought, oh, that's pretty simple. Yeah. Okay. So she just, she just left them there on the table and just like, yeah, well, I guess I'll go to bed, or whatever. flies to be everywhere, just all up on her shit. Not only was it all over her fruit and produce and trash, it was in her refrigerator and her cabinets. And she was just like, huh, this is a lot like that, uh, light like that, uh, that one story I heard where all the fruit flies were like fascists or something, but whatever. But these fruit flies are locally locally sourced, so it must be different.
especially if she was getting accustomed to it. It's starting to make her really uncomfortable, but according to the Goop and Dr. Oz articles, uh, you know, started to make her feel that's you're supposed to get uncomfortable from all these bugs and insects crawling around everywhere. You know, that's that's you getting grittier, you being harder and more in tune with like what what reality is. You know, that's how it goes. Like you know, hardship makes it builds character, and that's what you're doing by just leaving a bunch of infestation of fruit flies all over your apartment. And she's just like, yeah, yeah, this is pretty pretty fucking cool. I'm pretty fucking miserable with all these fruit flies around. And eventually, uh, this led her to drink more. She worked from home, and then, so what she started to do was just to have a glass of wine with her whenever she was working. And all the fruit flies would go swarm towards the, uh, the sweet drink and just drown in it. she drank wine, she'd be drinking dead fruit flies. Dead, drunk fruit flies. She'd have a few sips, and she'd be like, ah, oh, this is fucking terrible, I love it. The infestation grew throughout the days. Every time she had a beverage, it'd just be a cluster of fruit flies got to the point where she couldn't drink anything without chewing something as well. She was like, oh, mm, this is fucking awful. It's great. It was all, all in her food. She'd go for a piece of fruit, but it'd already be half-eaten by the fruit flies. And she would just be like, mm, I can't even enjoy this. I love it. She was starting to get uh, more severely depressed. And it really compromised her willpower. She would pretty much just go to work, and that would be the extent of it. And one day, her uh, toilet stopped working. She didn't know if there was like, a clog, or if the pipes were off, or whatever. Toilet wouldn't flush, and she didn't call a plumber, and she kept using it. So all of her defecation and urine was just building up, and it would just like cultivate the most rancid stink in a bathroom. Like it made the most nastiest porter potties look like the Ritz. Fucking hell, it's great. Ah! Building so much character! Mmm! Fucking goop was right. She really started to embrace the idea of just like living in this total rancid state on purpose. Except it's been happening for so long, it started to feel like an accident. She barely had any shred of willpower. 
to really do anything about it. And if she ever had the thought of, or idea to like clean up at least a little bit, she would just be like, oh well, it's just the way it is. some friends over. Friends in town she hasn't really seen since before the pandemic. She was just like, yeah, come over, we'll have drinks and whatever. Eventually turned into a small gathering with uh, six people coming over. Some friends, some were acquaintances. friend Cindy was just like, oh my god, are these fruit flies locally sourced? And Mar Marianne was just like, oh yeah, these fruit flies are locally sourced alright. I think they just came from the dump nearby. Ordered them from Amazon or, or everything. Betty was just like, yeah, yeah, I read on Goop, this is fucking, this is fucking cool. Yeah, I didn't think anyone was committing to this, you know? Everyone's kind of going for, like, the houseplant trend, but you're really fucking committing with these fruit flies everywhere. And Marion was just like, oh, if you think that's good, how about you go check out the bathroom? So Betty went in, and she was like, oh my god. Are you going for a gulag look? Are you going for a gulag look? And Marianne was just like, well, I'm working on it. I really, you know, had the idea when the fruit flies were around, and then, the, you know, and then the toilet stopped working, and then it all kind of just, like, worked into place. So I'm starting off with the bathroom. I don't know how I'm going to work out the rest of the apartment, but I'm really on to something. I really feel like I'm just like in this wretched network of prisons uh, that double down, triple, quadruple on human cruelty and derelict living conditions that no one could possibly live through. And Marianne was just like, yeah, I put so much effort into it. You know, it's, it's really been my pet project since the pandemic, you know. that it's almost over, or maybe, I don't know, but I mean, you know, even, you know, even if the pandemic ends by the end of the year, you know, I'm still gonna fucking keep up this gulag look, like, I really, I'm really proud of it, it's really part of my identity at this point, you know, and Goob and Dr. Oz have really been giving some, some great advice. So they all had dinner together. They kind of had like a potluck situation. And then the 
fruit flies swarmed. And as they were eating the food, they were munching the fruit flies as well. Drinking it with wine and all that. And the dam was just like, hmm, this is fucking gross and awful. And Marion was just like, oh, thank you. Gathering came and went. Marion felt really proud about uh, how she customized her apartment as this little uh, pandemic interior decorating project. And as the months went by, you know, the apartment became more and more derelict. Light fixtures went out. that just started to get bigger. Shit was piling up in the bathroom and more insects started to come in. Eventually her, uh, her apartment was taking the shape of like, like a big compost bin where it was really developing its own ecosystem. story on her apartment and uh, her decor and all that and to talk about how she used uh, goop, goop suggestions uh, to cultivate such a space Marianne was delighted she's never been in an article before she didn't know if she wanted to dress up or anything. She was like, no, no. I worked hard in this apartment. I think I'm going to present myself in a way that really represents that. So the goop writer came in, and she was like, oh my god, I love your place. And Marion was just like, ah, thank you. I hear that all the time. Then they had their interview, uh... Marianne went through her uh, motivations of cultivating her apartment. And she was just like, yeah, the secret, I guess the secret to it is not so much to try really hard, but just, just to not try at all, and it really all falls into place, you know? The article was published and got a lot of shares online. It made its round on uh, Pinterest and Twitter. from a quarter mile. Property values went up. 
Actually, other apartments and houses nearby were also getting smellier. It was a way of competition. It became a neighborhood step staple at that point. Just like, oh yeah, this neighborhood's just like really shitty, you know. I don't know if you read the uh, Gulag Archipelago by Solzhenitsyn. All the fucking terror and how humans lived in that book and how no one should ever live. Yeah, it's a lot like that. on doing a bio biopic about her. When she felt like her throat was getting closed up a little bit. She didn't quite notice it at first because the cultivation of her space uh, made her so severely depressed that she couldn't she couldn't detect any sort of uh, health inconsistencies with her. Apparently, she's been in poor health for a while. She wasn't able to move for a couple days. She never read about anyone dying of filth, but how could you not? Necessity for any creature or mammal, really, to live in a space that's not too derelict, you know, with at least a very bare minimum of, up of upkeep, every once in a while at least. There are many methods of survival, but since Marion lived in such a derelict set, uh, derelict state just consumed her. And it was all her choice. That was the kicker to it. It wasn't a way of living that was imposed upon her. It was an undoing of all her own. So she lied there, and it felt like she was dying. feel painful, but you could always tell. Any creature knows when death is coming. So she sat there. And she was dying much sooner than she expected. But it felt good that she died in a, a space of all of her own.
Bus Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Karezi. I hope you enjoyed all those, uh, those super dark stories and hope you took something from it. You know, towards the end there, I was thinking, like, yeah, these stories are really fucking dark. But then again, I saw that, uh, that Elon Musk SNL Wario sketch recently. So, like, how dark are they? Anyway, good night.